Hello, hello, and welcome back to the second episode of Maxi's Cricket Podcast. Today, we're going to go over the three games of Sheffield Shield action that have come back for the first time since the break with the Big Bash. So that's South Australia versus Tasmania, Western Australia versus New South Wales, and Queensland versus Victoria. Then we're going to take all that information and see what that means for the makeup of the Ashes squads coming up later this year. So that includes who are Australia's opening batsmen and how do they rank against each other and what I think the makeup of the 22 players that we're going to need for the Australia A versus the Australia game. So to start off first we're going to go over the South Australia versus Tasmania game. Played at Adelaide Oval, Tasmania won by six wickets and this was once again another poor effort from SA who are currently sitting on no wins for the season. And quite frankly, even as a South Australia fan, I'm somewhat glad that we lost this game. So that way we can't use the excuse of all the draws that we've played. I think we've played four draws this season. We can't use that excuse for not making the finals. We've really had a bad season so far. The game featured starts again for Head. He made two 50s. He made a 50 in the first innings, an exact 50 of 103 balls. And then a 50 in the second innings, an exact 50 again of 104 balls. This brings his first-class 50 tally up to 40 first-class half-centuries, of which he's only made 8 tons, which is it's getting ludicrous, really. Um, but he did... Uh, neither side, South Australia or Tasmania, uh, picked a front-line spinner, so Head played that role. He bowled 38 overs for the game, and he picked up a bowled 28 of those in the first innings, and in that he picked up 3 wickets. So the strike rate isn't that good, but he's picking up wickets. His bowling looked a lot better than early in the year, and I, I've heard that he was doing a lot of work in the nets um, with the Australia team earlier on. Lehman is <laughs> Lehman has another string of low scores going on now. Um, the issue that South Australia are doing is he's not a top-order top order batsman. That's the thing. Uh, he's not suited to coming in at 1 for 10, and then having to block it out and rebuild an innings. He's good for coming in down the order at six, um, hitting some quick runs and putting pressure back on the opposition before you've got to go out and bowl. He's really not a top order bat, and they need to find a position for him and stick with him. Um, I think so. I think he should be at six, and I think Ferguson should be come up should come up at three. I think he's batting too low. And Cooper, like Tommy Cooper, the dual international, he's back to his old tricks again. <laughs> So Tom Cooper has this habit of going low score, low score, low score, ton, low score, low score. And he normally scores that ton just as he's about to get dropped. So earlier this year, there was supposed to he was supposed to be dropped. SA said that he was going to be dropped. Then he came in as an emergency for a game, hit a ton, and hit a ton in the next game as well. So he wasn't dropped. Um, so he's back to his old ways. He hasn't made a significant contribution to the game pretty much since the start of the season. Um, the only batsman who really shown was Weverold besides Nielsen, who got a good 40-odd in the first innings. But Weverold, he made 160 in the um, in the second innings to try and put South Australia in some place of keeping the game within being a draw rather than just losing. <laughs> so, But then South Australia lost six for free, and on Law's hard effort was put to bed. Um, he, if people remember, he was being talked about as a potential bolter for the home ashes, earlier last year but that <laughs> that fell through <laughs> he uh, he wasn't picked and Bancroft was picked instead of him um probably deservedly as well 
Then on to Tasmania. The main thing that we have to talk about straight off the bat is Tasmania's 27-year-old debutant, Charlie Joaquin. So Charlie Joaquin making his debut at the age of 27. He got a massive score and he won the game for Tasmania, really. So making 160, Charlie Joaquin really powered Tasmania to that score of 467. Matt Wade was another good batting, <laughs> had another good batting performance for Tasmania. So it was a good score, 77, but he's seeming to have a problem with converting his tons this season. So he has one ton and six fifties this season. Overall in his career, that's not that big of an issue. He has 40 fifties and 13 tons. So it's better than head. It's not great, but still. Um, it doesn't seem to be an issue normally. However, this season it seems to be maybe playing on his mind that the selectors said that he needs to score more tons. Um, the, really, the only proper highlight in the bowling department was Jackson Bird picking up nine wickets for the game. And really, if he keeps doing this, right now he's the top wicket taker for the Sheffield Shield this season. And if he keeps doing this, then the selectors, really, they can't not pick him for the Ashes Tour. They'll probably find a way to not pick him anyway. Next up, we have the Western Australia versus New South Wales game, of which New South Wales won by an innings and 51 runs. But really, the thing that anyone's talking about from this game is Cam Bancroft scoring 138 not out in the first innings and then 86 in the second. Really, it was a lone hard for WA, lone hand for WA, sorry. <laughs> and it's great to see him back in form, but realistically, he's going to need a lot, lot more runs for the majority of the Australian population to want him back into the eleven. One good thing that he has on his side, from his perspective, is Justin Lang is a real big fan of him, so I wouldn't be surprised if he does make that Asher squad, although in a way I also wouldn't be, because really, he needs to spend a lot more time in Red Bull cricket to earn his way back into the side. He has to forget about that he even played Test cricket before and start all the way from the beginning. Curtis Patterson penciled his name in for a ton for New South Wales, scoring a big 134 and continuing his great form from the Test Series. Realistically, it was probably between him and Labashane as for who would get dropped when Smiths comes back in that middle order spot. You couldn't really drop head because he's averaging 50 at Test and he scored the most runs out of any Australian batsman all summer. And on top of that, a lot of the runs that he scored were against India, and he showed a lot of promise there. So really, it was between Curtis Patterson and Manus Lavashane. But Manus Lavashane, every score that he doesn't make, that's not 100, Curtis Patterson will always have a one-up on him, realistically. It was also a great time by Peter Neville, who really has fallen well out of frame for keeping um, talks around Australia. It's really been between Matt Wade and Alex Carey over who will replace... Um, Tim Payne when he's gone uh, I lean towards Carey although Wade is in really good form um, but Neville is really saying hey I'm still here guys don't forget about me you have a great 101 not out but even he has admitted that he probably won't play um, tests again for Australia it's great to have this sort of keeping depth in Australia that we can turn to now because for a while we didn't really have this um, one thing that I have to point out because it's been bugging me because at the time that it happened I was thinking, this is ridiculous things to say. These guys aren't going to do anything for the rest of the year. It's way too early to be saying this. And this is when Kerry O'Keefe was saying that Jason Sanger or Jack Edwards, he was mostly going for Jason Sanger, and saying that they should be in the Australia side. And this was just utterly ridiculous. Besides the hundreds that each of them got early in the season, neither of them has passed 50 again in that time. 
Jason Sanger averages about 35 in first-class cricket, and Jack Edwards averages 27, which is well below par. So the Wonderkins in New South Wales, they've gone into hiding, and New South Wales will hope that they come out if they want to make the finals. Stephen O'Keefe was really the pick of the bowlers for the game, as would make sense, as he got mad at the match. He picked up nine for the game, nine for 130, and despite all the things that he's had off the field, you know, some of it was really... Um, unforgivable behavior um you can't ignore form and sheer wickets really right now he's looking at the sole backup spinner for lion in for the tour to the ashes now on to queensland versus victoria where victoria won by as comfortable free wickets it was another set of rail uh, another set of failures for matt renshaw and he's really starting to drift out of this conversation of who is the backup or backup backup opener um, for the Ashes and in Australian Test Cricket generally. We'll talk about more in the definitive openers rankings. Burns had another set of good scores, but he couldn't go past that elusive century mark. He's got 650s and no tons this Shield season. Yes, he got that big score in the Test against Sri Lanka, but he needs to take that form and convert it into runs in the Sheffield Shield and not just 50s and 60s. He needs to go past that 100 mark. Because in six months' time, when he's playing on a on a swinging pitch at Lords, those runs against Sri Lanka aren't going to mean much if he can't score in the Shield. Now, when Mitch Marsh was dropped, I was saying that this guy should be in the side as a like-for-like -like replacement, except he's got better batting and better bowling. Michael Nisa is well and truly the inform all-rounder in Australia. If you remember, he was picked as a backup bowler for the UAE tour. He didn't get a game, but... The selectors showed that they trust him enough, even just as a bowler, to be included in the side. He has five fifties this season. Yes, it's no centuries, and I know I just gave Burns stick for that, but it's a bit of a different role. He's got several not outs, seventies and sixty odds, where he could have, and he looked like he was going to go on, but he ran out of partners. But he's an average of sixty-seven point five this season, <laughs> and that is more than I think everyone bar Harris and wade no it's it's more than wade everyone bar harris that is in talks for test selection he also picked up three for 80 this game and he has 16 wickets of 32 for the season if he gets that uh, bowling average under 30 and he has a batting average up to 70 it's hard how he to see how he wouldn't get picked for the ashes Nick Madison came back in commanding style for Victoria. He now has two, gun, uh, two tons and two games for Victoria, and that's really good on him. It's great that Australia is getting another middle order option that we might be able to turn to, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see him play for Australia too soon. I think his, that he uh, shouldn't be rushed back in, and he should be made to score a lot of runs in the shield before he gets another try at Test Cricket for Australia. Now... Marcus Harris, he all but concluded that he probably was going to be the one dropped for Warner later on this year when he said that he wasn't going to play county cricket and he said that he was going to rest instead. But now he's giving the selectors trouble. So yes, he chose not to play county cricket, but he just scored 95 in the first innings and 174 in the second. He is now the top shield run scorer for the season with 770 runs at 85.5. Yes, his exploits against India probably weren't so good, but he showed a lot of promise there. 
And he himself he himself said that the 174 was probably his best innings that he's played. My question is, will he be the first batsman in a long time to break the 1,000 run mark? And I think he will be going by that average. It'll only take him a couple more innings. And what I found really pe- uh, peculiar about this game is that John Holland was bowling in the 13th over of the first innings. Now, this is supposed to be a round, which statistically it didn't look like it. It was supposed to be dominated by the bowlers with swing bowling. Yes, it was it was hot and dry in some of the games. and There wasn't that much movement in the air. And it seemed like a couple were being played with some really dead pills. But still, John Holland in the 13th over of the first innings of a Shield match when it's supposed to be swinging. That raises a couple of questions of what was going on. So that was our Sheffield Shield round wrap up. The next round starts on Sunday and it should be a really good round of cricket coming up. But now on to the Road to the Ashes segment. It's going to be ongoing and these are going to, it's going to change as we get closer and closer to the date. But we're going to start with our openers rankings. So this is who I think ranks top when Warner comes back. So who will be in the side with Warner and then who would be the backup after that. And it goes down for a couple of people as well. So I think right now it goes Burns, then Harris, then I think Renshaw. I think that the selectors and the coach like him. Well, Langer might not like him that much, but he's a well-liked player in the boys' club, sort of, in Australian cricket. He's just horrendously out of form, so it's hard to justify picking him. Then after Renshaw, I'd have Kawaja in as like the fifth option, fourth option. Then after Kawaja, I'd have Bancroft, then Weverold then Hughes and Larkin sort of next to each other. That's who I think, that's how I think it would go. So I think Burns would, op- Burns would open with Warner as first choice. If for some reason Burns has a horror start to county cricket and all that, then I think Harris will take his place. If both of them have had a horrid start and Renshaw's gone okay, then they might choose to go with Renshaw. If none of them have done any sort of good and Kawaja scored a bunch of runs, they might choose that he opens with um, Warner. That way they can keep um, they can bring in an all-rounder if they like, or they can keep Labashain and Patterson when Smith comes back, as well as Head. That so yeah, Bancroft, I think he's still pretty pretty much out of the picture for right now. And Weverold, he's making his way back up with that one fifty, but it's going to take him a bit of time to be really considered as a um, proper uh, Test match contender. So next up, we have what I think will be the sides for the Australia versus Australia A game to be played later on this year as a lead up to the Ashes as practice for both sides. So we need 22 players for this game and I've broken it down into two separate teams. So I have the Australia team and that opens with Burns and Harris. In that three is Patterson. Then there's Smith, Head, Maxwell, Payne, Cummins, Worrell, Lyon, and Bird. Now, I think that's a very strong team by itself, let alone the players from the other side being included as well. I'm Payne as captain, and we have um, the sure head of Patterson, who isn't going to get out to a rash shot coming in at free to settle a ship when <laughs> eventually one of the openers gets out cheaply. Then we have Smith coming in at four in his preferred position. Then we have Head coming in at five when the swing's off the new ball and he can play more of his attacking shots. Then even more so at six with Maxwell in, where he can play really aggressive shots if he wants to. 
of course. And then after that, we have pain coming in sevens. Then we wrap it up with Cummins, Worrell, Lion, and Bird. So I have Worrell on the tour as a swing bowler, as well as Bird. I think that both of them are going to wreak havoc in England, especially if they get uh, selected for Australia. Then onto the Australia A team. I have Warner and Renshaw opening the batting. Then I have Kawaja in at three. Then I have Labashane at four. Pukowski at five. Wade at six. Nisa at seven, Stark at eight, Stephen O'Keefe at nine, Jai Richardson at 10, and Hazelwood at 11. So I would argue in saying that on paper, the Australia team has probably, they have stronger, a stronger batting lineup, whereas the Australia A team has probably a stronger bowling lineup. But I think both of them are quite evenly weighted in that they have a frontline spinner and a part-time spinner. They have a couple of like frontline quicks, um, and then each of them have um, at least they have a coming back batsman and they have an established youngster trying to make it up the ranks. And I think overall, I think it would make for a pretty interesting clash. So that's Burns, Harris, Patterson, Smith, Head, Maxwell, Payne, Cummins, Worrell, Lion, Bird, who really, I think that might be able to give a England a run for their money in the ashes anyway. And then they play against Australia A, Warner, Renshaw, Kawaja as captain, and Payne's captain on the other side. Then you have Labashane, Pekoski, Wade, Nisa, Stark, Stephen O'Keefe, Jai Richardson, and Josh Hazelwood. So I think that with those two teams combining, I think that we have a real shot at drawing the Ashes, if not winning the Ashes. I really do. And remember, if we draw, we keep the urn. The urn uh, is retained. So that is Maxi's Cricket Podcast Shield wrap-up and Road to the Ashes uh, done for this week. I'll hopefully be back next week to give you a wrap-up of the next round of Shield action. I know that uh, big Frankie Worrell is back um, for South Australia. He will be playing against WA on Sunday, so it'll be really interesting to see how he goes with the Duke balls in hand, especially since a lot of people have been talking him up around the country. So that's all from me. Remember, if you want to get in contact to the show, I respond to all tweets and stuff. That's at Maxi's Cricket Pod on Instagram and Instagram on Twitter um, or Maxi's Cricket Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Anchor if you want to send me a voice message and then I can include that part of the show. Um, with On Anchor, it's also Maxi's Cricket Podcast. All right, I'll see you next week and have a good one.